Apostle Paul left his young protege, Titus, on the island of Crete to finish the work of establishing biblically qualified pastors in every town. He writes Titus with instructions on how to do this and how to build a healthy church that can impact the world for the gospel. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Titus entitled, Finish the Work. All right, church, let's do this. Titus chapter one. We left uh, the chapter in limbo, man. We've got to finish the last few verses here. We made it to verse number nine. We're going to pick up at verse 10 and complete uh, the uh, chapter, Lord willing. Let's ask him for his blessing. Father God, we cannot do a thing without you, spiritually speaking. Nothing of eternal worth will happen unless your spirit lead the way and help us. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see, understand, and implement these truths. Lord, not just know them in our heads, but live them in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. It seems a lot of people out there have misconceptions in the world about the nature of what it means to be a Christian. I don't know if you've noticed it, uh, too, um, what the Bible teaches, actually, and Uh, Jesus' character and nature as well. For example, sometimes Christianity is portrayed as passive and pacifistic as a religion. And uh, judging from the artwork of Jesus, they see him as some feminized character, pale and wimpy, uh, milk toast, mamby-pamby, wishy-washy kind of character who came to kind of institute a religion just like that. But, you know, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild is a title of an old hymn. You know, it's true, but it's not the whole story, of course. We've got a masculine carpenter with calloused hands who carried a 75-pound crossbeam on his shoulders after a night deprived of sleep, of water, of food, and then flogged the Roman way that would have killed a lesser man. After all of that, he picked up 75 pounds and put it on his shoulders and carried it a good distance. And so, yeah, he was a big, strong man. The compassion, the gentleness, the meekness, the mildness, yes, astounding. Astounding. But Paul invites us in Romans chapter 11 to be, have a balanced approach to what Christianity is, who we are, who he is, in that he says, I'd like to remind you of the kindness and the severity of God. Note well that there are, there's a dual nature. And so, so funny that I would pick this as an introduction, and then the first song that we would sing was The Lion and the Lamb. 
You know, the Holy Spirit is a multitasker. <laughs> you, you, you know, he didn't bother telling Roscoe or me to get together to hook that up. He just said, I got this, boys, you know. And so, yes, the lion and the lamb, the lamb, the tender-hearted Jesus who has brought the adulterous woman and uh, deals with her so tenderly, neither do I condemn you. And this is a, Gentle with the needy, the outcast, the friends of sinners. And the lion, the overturning the tables and driving out the scam artist from his house, uh, making a whip out of the cords that he found, using a whip in the temple to get the bad guys out of there. Yeah, that, my friend, is the lion side. The the Bible just is an equal opportunity presenter. It will, it will give you the joys of heaven and the horrors of hell. Uh, uh, and the comfort for those who repent, God bless you. The comfort of those who repent and the condemnation of those who rebel. John is a great example. One more and then we don't move forward. John, at <laughs> first John, the love of God. And then Revelation, the wrath of God. Boy, if you put yourself outside and come against and oppose the very thing that Jesus himself suffered on your behalf so that you wouldn't have to, uh, but if you put yourself outside of that and oppose God and reject the truth, well, you know, that's not very smart and you're going to get the lion Sadly, instead of the lamb. Now, so now we're in the epistles and, and, and we have kindness and severity or we have sweet and salty. Well, Titus, now we've opened up in chapter one. Paul's letter to his protege here is filled with sweetness in the beginning. First nine verses, kind words, a wonderful Greeting to his young protege that's facing a daunting task of having to um, really uh, shut down the bad guys on Crete who are distorting the word of God and ruining the churches there and upsetting entire households of families and raise up solid, mature, biblically qualified men in every city. He said, I want you to appoint pastors in every city there on Crete and there was just some kind, sweet uh, words to encourage him to do that. The qualifications of a godly man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and has a character that can sustain him in the calling to shepherd God's people. So we got sweet. We got the kind part. Now, now there's some salty. There's some sting. There's some... Uh, sternness, as the King James calls that severity side. And so uh, brace yourself for a little rough and tumble as we're going to learn about the character and nature of the bad guys who are opposing God, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, and are hindering the objects of God's great love. And when you get in the way of a person or a small little church that's trying to love God and you come in as a teacher and stumble them and lead them away? Wow, well, you're going to be dealing with some roaring 
and some clawing of a lion of the tribe of Judah because Jesus doesn't take that kind of thing lightly. So it's time to introduce them to you with some graphic terms and some things that the world would say, that doesn't sound Christian, you know, because they don't understand. They do not understand at all. And some Christians who are immature avoid these passages and are being led astray. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Finish the chapter here, starting at verse 10. Now, there are many rebellious people out there, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those who are Jews, a nickname for them. Verse 11, they must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Wow. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commandments of men, those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, verse 16. What, an, what a nice cut to the chase, definitive way of looking at all of the world and Christianity. They claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Other than that, they're pretty good guys. <laughs> That's our text up for our consideration this morning. I wanted to dive into chapter two to end. I like to end on an up, you know, not on they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good, you know. And I went home and I told my wife what's facing me this weekend. And, uh, yeah, you know, she's always a big encouragement. She says, you know, whatever God puts on your heart is going to be the right way to go, you know. And so uh, try as I might to get through this. Uh, there's a lot to be said right there staring at you. And so we're going to wring this like a wet washcloth, all right? We're going to get every drop of relevant application and insight that we can out of it. Why? Because in every age, the people of God are under siege and vulnerable to every wind of doctrine, novel ideas, and all kinds of strange teachings that may not damn your soul if you know the Lord, but they will make you ineffective, unproductive, and kind of shelf you. Just kind of put you on the side benches so that you don't do too much damage for the enemy, right? And who do you think's behind all of this, of course? All right, so you ready to dive in? I'll try that again. Come on, I want to feel like you're, you know, this is a converse. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> you ready to go? Yeah. See? That's going to help a preacher out. All right, number one. So we got some straight shooting here, strong, sobering language, of course, the Holy Spirit through Paul. 
rarely pulls any punches, especially with Paul. He's just the perfect pen for the Holy Spirit to write whatever he's feeling. His warnings now about the false teachers here on Crete. So we're going to finish the chapter as I promised, Lord willing. So Paul's thoughts unfold here really nicely, very logical. And he just explains the situation facing young Titus, whose job it is to go in, confront, clean house in all of these churches in every town in Crete to establish a sound, biblically qualified pastors, as I've been saying. And so uh, he, uh, the thoughts unfold regarding these bad guys now, the theme of the paragraph, three easy things. He's really saying uh, who they are, what they're doing, and what needs to be done, who they are, what they're doing, and what needs to be done. So let's take a closer look, if you have the stomach for it, who they are, because they are rebels with a cause. And their cause, whether they know it or not, is to hinder the work of God, to oppose God Almighty. That may be why there's a little strong language here and in other places in the New Testament concerning these people who are on a fool's errand because there's no plan, there's no wisdom, there's no insight that will ever succeed against the Lord. So why even bother, amen? Just come along peacefully, amen? How many of you just did not take that advice and had to come the hard way? Let me see my friends out there. I had to be drug in myself. So first, who they are. They are rebels. Now, there are many dangerous toils and snares that you and I have already come through, but will always face. And one of the dangers is this, the rebels. He calls them, first of all, the rebellious in your text. And there's many of them. There's not a few. Right, And so the rebels are false teachers who uh, the evil one uses really to shipwreck the faith of um, the everyday Christian and also to prevent people from seeing the light of Christ and becoming saved um, as, a, as, a, as a result because uh, the truth is what sets us free. So if the truth and the gospel is the saving agent to mess with that, is to mess with the salvation and the health of the soul. And so let's meet them. They're rebellious, he says. Against whom? If you call somebody rebellious, you're rebelling against somebody. And so that was my point. They, they dared to rebel against God, his word, his will, his commands, and the gospel that was once for all entrusted to God's people, Jude verse 3. So... The word for rebellious there is insubordinate. I had a little aha moment here before we even get started that the root cause of those especially who have known the truth and wander away is insubordination. They're rebellious. They don't want to come under a pastor, a biblically qualified pastor, all things being equal. Hebrews chapter 13 says we're to come under God-given authority in the church. And that is something a false teacher doesn't want to do. So, you know, don't take things too personally. This is a battle between the person who does not want to submit 
first to God, doesn't want to come under the gospel as it's been entrusted and handed down throughout the ages. He's got his own ideas. And like Korah of old in number 16, who came to Moses one day and said, who, who died and made you the pastor? Yeah, sort of thing. I'm your cousin. I'm a Levite. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with all the Levites? Why can't we do what the high priests do? We're all equal, Moses. That's exactly what he said. I'm not coming under. I'm tired of coming under. So these guys, and he's sort of the poster child uh, for false teachers who kind of know the truth and lead people away. And so he says, there are many, not a few out there. And God likes a well-ordered world. And Romans 13 says, if the whole world is established in authority, so anybody who rebels against authority rebels against God because all authority comes from God, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's on the freeways. There's always authorities, right? And whether it's at your work, your job, the marketplace, I dare you to find one square inch on planet Earth that's not governed by some sort of God-delegated authority. And it's in the church as well. It's in the church. And these guys say, they just roll their eyes, laugh. They don't come under. Uh, They've come up with their own ideas that serve their own interests instead of God. Now the second word is they're empty talkers. So the word empty there means, uh, or mere talkers, means empty, useless, idle, and vain. So in other words, lots of words, lots of eloquence, very silver-tongued, but uh, no sterling character, as I said last week. Fine-sounding arguments without any punch. (laughs) There's no power, you know? They just kind of tickle your your ears, tell you what you want to hear. You know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. (laughs) And then you go out and you're like, I still got my lemons, you know? <laughs> I still got my problems. There's no power. Here's what Paul said. Instead of empty talking, when you go to these places where they're just kind of babbling around, my message, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on power. And these guys would talk and talk and talk, and you leave the same way or worse when you go out of there, the way you came in. There's no, no power. There's no power. You've got to have the truth. You've got to have the Word of God. The Word of God is not just like a novel or Huck Finn or Mark Twain. There's embedded in that word is heaven's power to transform and make you to be and enable you to to, uh, fulfill the commands he's given us. The one who commands is the enabler and he does it through the word of truth. And if you're just talking, 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 there's not a lot of Bible in there. You've got no power. So he says they're empty, empty talkers, which consequently, when you do a lot of talking without a lot of truth, you end up deceiving and misleading people. So he calls them deceivers. The word there means to be self-deceived and deceiving. So they themselves are deceived. Do you think that half of them don't even know what they're doing? Half of them think I'm enlightening. 
I, I'm, I'm liberating people who are bound in archaic ideas. I'm talking about the Christian uh, kind of uh, emerging church thing that seems to be going on these days. I'm liberating people. I'm helping. They don't think. What a surprise. Uh, some of these guys are going to get when they realized all they did was talk about money, money, money and led people down false paths. Oh, my word. So he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 13 about these same guys, they think they're enlightening. They are, but they will go from, imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he says, especially watch out for the circumcision group. They're, they're nicknamed that. Paul calls them that because that's all they're talking about. These Jewish false teachers with the Jewish flavor. There's a little hybrid going on. All right. As, so the Jewish ones were all about, you have to do this. Uh, you're, you've got Christ. That's good. But you better become a Jew as well. And becoming a Jew for a man involved that passage or, or right. And so he calls them by the thing they're always talking about. You know, instead of saying, do you know Christ? They would say, are you circumcised? That's their, that's their problem. And since I bring it up, all right, back in Genesis, it was a perfectly good sign. And it speaks a perfectly good message. The Lord was essentially telling uh, Abraham by giving him the sign of circumcision that your body is dead. Your wife's body is dead. And unless I intervene, natural reproduction isn't going to produce reconciliation in life back to God, heavenly life, spiritual life, to be born again. And so he put his mark there and said, you're going to need some help. It's not just about having a natural birth. You need a spiritual birth. And so in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. No more need for that because the fulfillment of the sign has been accomplished. So I had to do that just because I saw some people look little questioned when I brought the word up. Okay, so here's a little bit about who they are. And now point to what they're doing. Verse 11. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonesty. Uh, So here's what they're doing for starters. He's kind of going to go back and forth. Here's what they're doing. Here's who they are. Here's why you need to stop them. And we'll just follow the flow here. But here's sad to say uh, they're ruining entire households. Here's a, it, it means two things. It means they're upsetting the family. And they're also upsetting the church which meets in houses. So back in the day before the church had a lot of funds or a lot of converts and before folks that it was legal to meet it was not legal to be a Christian for 313 years (laughs) 313 years until what's his name Constantine and the Edict of Milan said okay Christianity will allow it and then a few years later said it can be the state religion of sorts. And so, yeah. Uh, so there were, of course, there were no buildings. That's why there were no buildings. They loved meeting in the temple. That's a building, right? Paul rented a hall, Tyrannus 
uh, hall of some dude named Tyrannus for large Christian gatherings. It wasn't that it was better and more holy to meet in houses. It was a practical concern. And as soon as it became legal and there were enough Christians and enough money to buy a big building, they did it. And we haven't stopped doing it since. In fact, we're trying to do it right now. Now they're doing, uh, so, so that's what he means by household. It's where they're meeting. And it has a double meeting. The families were being torn apart. That word to be upset or to be, uh, what does it say there, in ruining means to overturn and to destroy. That's what they're doing to people with their stupid ideas. Sorry. Uh, what, uh, what we believe is an anchor to our souls. And when there's a shift in the grasp of the truth, there's a shift in the stability of our lives and in our Families And so these men would come in and they'd toss a verbal hand grenade into the family and the church. And that happens today with all kinds of strange ideas and arguments and a can of worms and heresies and controversial things that, that ought not to be taught. And so two, two family members would say, hey, I want to keep the Sabbath because that's what they were saying, the Jewish ones. Why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? You got Jesus, I know all that, but you know, he gave the Sabbath for a reason, folks. And they were trying to enslave them back to, and you're eating pork? Are you kidding me? As a Christian, this, this mishmash of ideas. And so two of them at a table a family, mom brings out the usual and two of the kids stand up and go to their room. How can you serve that to us after what the teacher taught us? Their families, and some of you know this, my heart goes out to you. Their families were being torn apart, destroyed. People not invited to weddings and graduations and all of that. Families just ripped in half because some clown was opening his mouth and saying things he had no idea. The Bible says they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Inspired of the evil one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he is planting seeds of division to, to, to tear them all apart, to, to hinder the work of God in the, in the congregation there in the home and to destroy the family within. So that might be why he says they need to be silenced and the word there means to either stop up a pipe, I love that one, or, or to muzzle a dog. Wow, good luck with that, Titus. May the good Lord be with you, Sonny. Because, and he was, and is, when all of us have to face that kind of thing. Uh, you, you know, so the, uh, here's what they were, uh, they were not to, supposed to be teaching, or teaching things they ought not to be teaching. I, I can tell you a little bit about the hybrid of their theological errors, you know. It was called Gnosticism, and Gnosticism gets its name from 
knowledge, a secret knowledge. And so here's what they were saying. It was a form of Christianity that kind of morphed it up a bit to an elite esoteric crowd, esoteric for the elite, for the enlightened. So they were leaving the archaic, old-school ways of thinking of Christianity even 2,000 years ago, saying that something was archaic, and it has only been around for 30 years. (laughs) But they were saying, let's just kind of bring it up a notch and start to spiritualize everything. What did God really mean when he said hell? What did it really mean when it says the fire doesn't go out, the worm never dies, the blackest darkness reserved for them? My question to them is, A, what do you think it means? B, even if you want to try to spiritualize that, what does that stand for? (laughs) Does that stand for something? Can you make that stand for something pleasant? Where Jesus says, be sure you don't go there because the flame never goes out. The worm never dies, and it's eternal. How could that be but the teachers today? Say, okay, what a God of love. Are you kidding me? How can you come against Jesus Christ's own words? Because you're not coming under, don't like coming under anymore. I want to be able to do my own thing. And so that's that. Now, the Jewish version was, listen, you can't, you gotta be kosher. The men have to be circumcised. You gotta keep the Mosaic law, some of the ceremonies. Oh, Passover, all of those feasts, and Sabbath keeping. So these poor guys, he says the commands of men shortens it that way. God didn't command it, but this kind of higher thing. And, and of course, that happens today. You know, all roads lead to God, Jesus is just one path. Or, You know, as long as you're a good person and try your best. But see, postmodern emergent church theology is the thing that I fear most for you all. Postmodern, let me just take a minute. Postmodernism means the world has had a lot of time to, to grow up and put on its big boy pants. So we're living in the grown up time. Postmodern means that we're living after that time. So we're living with, you know, we've grown up out there. And so now emergent church theology says, now that the world has grown up and left the archaic primitive times of the past when we were all in diapers, but now that we're, we've got real big boy pants on, now here's the way that we'll emerge out of the old archaic primitive form and will emerge into a new postmodern way of understanding God and the scriptures. And what first step is dumb down the Bible. So let's call it a narrative or a story, okay? It's not infallible. It's not to be taken literally, even though the passages that teach are, are, are to be taken literally, Right? And so what they do is now question everything. Question everything. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there this? Is there that? And here's the big thing. God help you if you bring any judgment or evaluation or imply that somebody isn't doing something biblically right. 
So that's the new postmodern thing is that love just lets everything slide and you're only allowed to affirm because we tell God who we are in this postmodern world. So, so the whole message is offensive because it's telling them from God's point of view, who they are and what God requires of them. And so I'm afraid that many, many Christians have already um, been persuaded by the false teaching for their own popularity, for their own ease and convenience, and, and so that they will feel like the enlightened few that now we have kind of morphed to a place that is more socially acceptable. All right, so let's go on because it's more relevant than you were thinking. In this case, surprise, the motivation that was driving these men with dishonest gain. Not the glory of God, not under uh, a calling, not because of compassion, not because of caring, not because of conviction, but they wanted to make money and there's a lot of money to be made with gullible Christianity. There's just a lot of money to be made. When you see when the money that's gone into some of, not all, TV evangelists, my word, my word, there's a lot of money out there. The Bible says something terrible about those who defraud in Jesus' name. He says those wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkest darkness has been reserved forever, Jude, verse 13. So verse uh, 11, I should say, he's saying dishonest gain. But dishonest gain can be about any kind of gain, like emotional gain, notoriety, popularity, uh, uh, to gain the gain of not having to submit and all kinds of things. And so now we've seen uh, what's going on there. Paul now in verse 12 underscores uh, these men, their ruthless character with a real surprise, doesn't he? I think this is one of the most um, interesting parts of this paragraph is verses 12 and 13. He's so disgusted with these guys' corrupt characters and Trust me, I mean, I know you know it's out there, but if you Google late night televangelist uh, things and you click on a few of them, you will be aghast. You will be, uh, your stomach will, you, it, it is far beyond, it's worse than you ever dreamed. And, and the world makes sure it finds those to post, you know. And so I, I don't recommend you do it uh, if you're uh, depressed or or in a bad place because it's not very happy. But I can understand Paul's like disgust. And so in his disgust, verses 12 and 13, he says, I want to confirm these guys' godless character. And here's what he's saying. Uh, they're living up to their Cre Cretan reputation. Verse 12, even one of their own prophets has says, said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. He says, they're proving this true. Now, let me explain that to you since you look confused. The island of Crete was under Greek influence. 
as it is today, it is Greece. Back in the sixth century, when uh, Greece, ancient Greece was forming, all right? Even before Aristotle and Socrates, uh, they, those dudes were in the fifth and fourth centuries BC. But before that, there was this guy named Epimenides. He's just like one of those philosophers, and he's a spiritual teacher to the Greeks, and, the, and, the, and he was from Crete, so he's one of their own. And Paul uses the word prophet very loosely. He was a spiritual teacher, poet, philosopher, all of that. And this guy, Epimenides, was really often quoted and well-loved there uh, with the counterfeit teachers on Crete. So here's what Paul's saying. I just love him. He's saying, I'm not the only one accusing these guys of being evil. He says, even one of their own favorite guys they love to quote nails it on the head when he calls them. He says, Cretans are always known for lying up to no good, vile, vulgar, no conscience, acting like animals. That's where brute comes from. And lazy gluttons, people who want insatiable appetites, but don't want to work for it. He says, bingo, Epimenides, their favorite dude to quote, has got them figured out. It's all very Cretan of them. That's what he's saying. They're not just love the wisdom and the clever genius of the apostle Paul. Regarding these men with their wicked character, bingo, Epimenides, you nailed it. So he said, he says, oh, you think it's, it's not substantiated here? The Greek word, one of them, to lie and to trick people is cretize, to cretize, cretize, means to lie. They were so famous at lying that they coined a word to lie by saying kretize, like the word corinthianize. To corinthianize meant to be promiscuous. What did that tell you about people in Corinth? Listen, it would be, you need a contemporary thing? It would be kind of like some crime went down in Las Vegas there. And the mayor, even the mayor of Las Vegas says all the time, welcome to Sin City. So what did you expect, right? That's the idea here. And so this wasn't breaking news. They would say it about themselves as they're getting drunk and laughing and swindling some widow out of all her last little shekels or whatever it is. That's who we are. Cheers. And he, they'd quote, that's who we are and kind of like it. And so he says, this is the kind of guys you're up against, Titus. They're for something to do. So we've got a third point here. Something had to be done. Paul is not one. Listen, not me like me and you sometimes. Paul's not one to say, I've got my own life. I've got my own fish to fry. I don't have a, a dog in this fight. How does it go? And sometimes you don't, and sometimes you need to remind yourself of that. I just mentioned that the other day. But he's not going to stand by and put up with this. He's like, 
Titus, go get them. Look who they are. Look what they're doing. Look at their character. Look at the pain. Look at God's work. Let that get you all fired up, son, and get busy. Titus, you've got to put a stop to it. So uh, a shout out back to verse 11. They must be silenced. I already told you they must be. Uh, the word there, basically, it, it, Barclay said this. That doesn't simply mean they are to be silenced by violence or persecution. It became the normal word to silence a person by reason. By reason. But he says, uh, sharply, sharply rebuke them. This is important. I mean, he had to get in their faces and say some things he didn't want to say. Like I've said many times, if you like to confront people, you should not be confronting people because nobody likes <laughs> confronting people. That gets a big laugh every time. <laughs> All right, here's what, here's what one writer said. Oh, David Guzik is a friend of mine. He's a pastor. He's kind of out there speaking a lot. He's well known. Uh, Titus had to train the elders he chose to simply shut up these problem people. They should not be allowed to gain a hearing as far as it depended on him because if allowed, they would subvert whole households. These are the kinds of people who were not allowed the platform, not given a mic, not allowed to speak their divisive opinions in any setting that might influence a vulnerable soul under Titus' care. Now, what's impossible about today is that there's the internet and the media, uh, social media. All I can do is say, as for me and my household, right, we shall not allow divisive, false teaching tongues to have access to anyone God has called us to protect. And so that's all we can do. You can't go out there and you can't do much more than that. You know, you have to trust the Holy Spirit because we're somewhat limited in this modern, postmodern age. <laughs> I said that with a real sweetness in my heart. Now, <laughs> verse... 11 here, he said, stem the tide, so slow the flow and do your part. Marginalize them as a pastor, so no active role. I've had to do that. I've had to, had to do that on the platform. It's like they believe what? They're saying what on Facebook? Well, no, yeah, you're welcome to sit in the pews. I'm not calling the police. I'm just saying you're not greeting anymore. How can I entrust you to be an usher or a greeter or, or, or at a prayer group? Is so-and-so going to be at the prayer group? I'll send a pastor because of what you said on Facebook that someone else told me because I don't spend any time on Facebook. Well, I'll put a picture of a grandkid on there and then six months later, another one. That's all I do on Facebook. And, and you know, it makes Christians a little scared squeamish. It does not make me squeamish. It's not my favorite part of the ministry. Does, does, does a cop who gets called to, to, to protect somebody go, I'm a little that's squeamish, you know, or a firefighter, the alarms are going, there's a four alarm blaze. And the guy's like, 
oh, we could get burned. You know, and is it really my place to, yes, it is your place. You're being paid to do that. And, uh, you know, she's crying out loud, people. So the goal of this correction is put positively and negatively. So he says the goal of rebuking them sharply is that they'll be healthy in their faith. When he says the faith, he means the essential truths that make Christianity what it is and what it's not. Christianity, the gospel, is something, and it's not something else. And when you play around with the borders, then you're getting in trouble. Now, we agree to disagree with the non-essentials. There's plenty of non-essentials. How you do church, how you preach the Bible, but what you preach who Jesus is. We don't mess around with those kinds of things. And those are, the, those are the kinds of things worth pulling out the theological guns and say, let me show you here. So to refute, to rebuke, to expose all of those words, it means to reason and line up the truth with. But the problem is that only works with reasonable truth-valuing souls. So you can try as you were, as you must, but listen, only the wise love being corrected. And the Proverbs say, don't correct a fool unless you want to be missing a few teeth. (laughs) Now, I paraphrased that one a little bit, but that's what it says. It says, if you sense they don't value what you value and they're not going to, they're going to roll their eyes and say, you're proof texting Whenever I go to somebody and say, Jesus is God, look at it right here. They say, you're proof texting. Proof texting means you're wrenching something out of context to support your point. Okay, then if you think I'm proof texting, let's read the whole chapter. All right, so you know I'm not proof texting. Uh, But once you lose the ability to value the word of God, once the word of God is taken off the table and you can't use that, you're pretty much lost and doomed, and you are drifting on a sea of error and deception and hopeless despair. The only truth we have is God's voice, God's living word to us. And if you can't use that, you know, you use creation, use anything, use prayer, use love, use every tool you can, Uh, but it's an uphill battle without the Bible. And so he says, the faith to be restored healthy in the faith, sound means healthy. The ne- put negatively, he says, uh, rebuke them sharply so they're not, they stop with the myths. So the, the Jewish false teachers had a thing. It's called the Apocrypha. It's writings that godly men have deemed fantasy and fable, not inspired. So they'd go to those books and they'd say, hey, the Old Testament book where there's the ogre living in the hills and there's just sort of a sermon lesson there, but it's not the word of God. So he says, if you rebuke them sharply with the truth, because the truth is the only remedy to the devil's lie, take the truth, bring it out, and uh, they'll not pay attention to myths, you know. Myths, nonsense. Sickness is just an illusion. Christian science. 
Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers and married Christians populate planets and produce children for the planets. Mormonism. This is, these are silly myths. Christ and Michael, the archangel, are one and the same. Jehovah's Witnesses. Mary intercedes for us. Pray to Mary because she's co-redemptress with Christ. And at the end of her life, she ascended into heaven. Rebuke them sharply so that they will not pay attention to myths. I could go on for days, but I'll just pick two more. (laughs) Everything and everybody is God. Somebody asked me once, don't you recognize your own deity? And I said, I'm tempted for my wife to recognize that. (laughs) So far, she has not. He said, look within. I said, I did, and that's why I'm a Christian. That is the very reason I became a Christian. As I looked within, I went, I need a savior. (laughs) But he said calmly, you are the savior. Myth, myth, rebuke them sharply, right? But you know, he said, uh, Paul to Timothy, warn a divisive person once and then twice, and then here, here, get get rid of your squeamishness, then have nothing to do with them. How Christian is that? Very. (laughs) Very, because I'll show you the chapter and verse. Because when it's not going to work, it's not going to work, and you're going to get overheated and be a bad witness and say things you shouldn't say if you're anything like me. (laughs) you got to know when... uh, Okay, moving on. Okay, so... Right, so stop paying attention to myths. That's, that's, you get it. And then the other thing is that you won't pay attention to commands. There are commands of men. So they'll say, thou shalt, you know, you must keep the Sabbath, and you can't eat pork. And, you know, if I contemporized it, it would be, you know, you, you can't go wine tasting, you can't see a movie, you can't... Um, listen to secular music, these kinds of things where there's no thou shalt not. We call those gray areas, right? And so here's what he's saying about gray areas and the commandments of men. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. Now, let me assure you that the all things he means does not mean blatant thou shalt nots that we know on every other page is forbidden zone. When he's, he's now talking about the commandments of men that, that don't come from God, but come from some guys who say, you know, you can't order uh, shrimp scampi because shrimp aren't kosher, all right? So what does that have? Jesus says you eat the shrimp, they pass through quietly, and, and, and they go on their own way, and they have nothing to do with bringing you closer to God or further away from God. Those are Jesus' words by the way. In that regard of commands, you are 
if you're pure, meaning you love God, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're a mature Christian, you're devoted. In those areas of uh, going to Las Vegas or, or going wine tasting or seeing a movie or listening to secular music, um, you'll maintain moral purity in all of that because you love God. And wherever you are, whether it's in a gray area or not, you're just gonna not sin because that's not who you are. But to those who are impure, everything's corrupt and the same things, the trip to Las Vegas, the, the, the wine tasting, the see a movie, listen to secular music, all of that are means sometimes to sin and defilement. So he's saying, listen, I don't have to worry about, do I touch this? Can I, can I drink that? Can I consume that? That's silly. Because you love God, you're going to do the right thing. Amen? Amen. I've got to finish up here. And he says, uh, last verse here, just a, a nice summary statement, really, of who they are, what they're doing, and why you really need to deal with it and be on your guard. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Well, you know, it's sad, and, but here's the takeaway. Uh, if you claim to know God, you have to have evidence of moral transformation or you are denying the claim. So in other words, uh, the Bible teaches that if you say you're a Christian, you have to walk the way Jesus walked and live the way Jesus lived. There has to be, if you say, hey, if Home Depot sells you a lemon tree, you got three to five years to see something yellow happen. Right, because when something yellow happens on the tree, you're like, cha-ching, they really did sell me a lemon tree. And that's what he's saying. Uh, they say they know, they say they're a lemon tree, but it's been 15 years, and all that seems to grow on that tree is poisonous fruit. There's no, they keep saying lemons, Meyer lemons, right? No, 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 that's what he's saying here. And so... They're unfit for any good thing because they're disobedient and, and, and detestable. So how can they do anything good? So let me tell you a story about somebody who wasn't that discerning and got into trouble. Now, Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Once upon a time, people, there was a little girl named Little Red Riding Hood and all she wanted to do was go visit sweet, loving grandma. But there was this wolf that wanted to eat her along the way, but couldn't even get at her on the trail. So he decided, I know where she's going. I'll beat her there, and we'll take care of business in the house. So she gets to grandma. He gets to grandma's house. One version says he swallows her whole. That's not the version I told I told my kids the German account. The German account says he, uh, he locks her in a closet. <laughs> it's a lot less distressful. <laughs> I'm having a nightmare tonight because of, you know, the stories I tell them, right? So uh, the, the wolf locks grandma in the closet and gets into bed and puts little grandma's bonnet on and in walks little undiscerning, Gullible, 
golly gee whiz, Grandma. I don't remember your eyes being so big. And then the wolf says, well, oh, that's only because it's just all the more better to see you, my dear. And then she says, I don't remember that much facial hair. You don't know. <laughs> she says, I, she says, oh, what does she say? There's a good one here. Oh, that voice, Grandma. It's a little husky. Yeah, get it, husky. It's a little husky. What's wrong with you? And, and, and <clears throat> all the more better <laughs> to greet you, my little cherub, right? And, and then she's a little concerned, and she says, the teeth, the teeth, definitely. The teeth are di very different. They're very sharp, very long. There's a lot of them. Grandma, what's going on? <laughs> and the wolf in Grandma's clothing do you hear what I'm saying, people? Says all the teeth, all the better to eat you, and the and the Bible, <laughs> and, and the fable goes, he ate her, all gone. Now it serves this girl right. I mean, come on, duh, you know. You can't tell it's a wolf, but Jesus said this. Here's what Jesus said. Watch out for false prophets because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Are, are you seriously going to listen to some hip, cool thing, start telling you there's no hell, don't worry, and all of this stuff about a postmodern thing and that? And aren't you going to say, are you going to really say, Grandma? What big eyes you have, what's, yeah, come on, man. You want to get swallowed up? And by the way, there's a version, the French version, has a woodcutter come in at the end and perform some surgery, and out comes grandma and the little girl as well. So I, I was happy for that, you know. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I've been at this, I've been at this 39 years. They don't all come back. They don't all come back, so you might want to let your prayer be, God, give me discernment, the gift of discernment, a love for the truth, courage to hang on, no matter my parents, my friend, my wife, my husband, pressure me, or any devil in hell. I've been entrusted with the gospel once and for all been passed down to me. It's the message that saves my soul and my only hope, and I'm going nowhere. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your goodness. We look to you now to help us apply these truths. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.